0: Karen and I spent uh, about an hour, hour and a half at the Home and Patio Show yesterday downtown at the Prime Osborne. Uh, it had been years since we had gone, and uh, it's, it's a little overwhelming to go down and uh, to fight through the crowds and to go into that huge building with booth after booth after booth of of things folks are selling, things as large as swimming pools. And as small as a dust mop and a, a pillow. And uh, you just go by booth after booth of deciding what interests you and what doesn't. Uh, about the only thing that interests me was sugared nuts, which I got a thing of. And uh, Karen got some fudge. Uh, almost invested in a mattress and decided to uh, to wait on that and to think through that thing. But I thought to myself as I passed through that Prime Osborne and saw all those home and patio booths, of what a trade show would look like on world religion. If you were to open up booth after booth of all the religions of man across the world and across the centuries, you'd have sections on the Muslim religion and the Buddhist religion and and and, and just all the religions that the world has provided. And I, Thousands of them, actually. Then I thought you'd have a special section just for Christianity. And within that big room of Christianity, how many booths would you have of denominations and splinter groups and strange throw-offs and then I think down the side corridor, and I'd put them way in a side corridor, would be those Christian religions who think they're Christian religions, who really aren't Christian religions. And um, down that path, you'd have a bunch of denominations also. Uh, it, it can get very confusing, can it? And the questions always asked the, to the preacher is, why do we have so many denominations? Why is it so splintered within Christianity? Good question. I don't have a good answer for you. To me, it's quite simple. To me, you take the words and statements of Jesus Christ, carefully carefully interpret them according to the literary context, and you keep things very, very simple. And you listen to his words. Because what you choose to believe is incredibly important. I remember the scene out of one of the Indiana Jones movies uh, where he had gotten into the room uh, with all the chalices. Remember the the, the cups of the Lord. And he had to choose between hundreds of cups. And actually there was a gentleman there who also needed to choose. And of course he chose the fancy cup and drank from it. And you remember what happened to him. He basically imploded, is what he did. And the old knight made the classic statement, he chose unwisely. And I always think, duh, you think? You think? And of course, Indiana Jones, and looking over the hundreds of chalices, chose wisely. A chalice that was simple, a carpenter's cup. It's very important that you choose wisely when it comes to your approach to God because so much confusion. I I ask myself, why is there so much confusion with religion? Well, if something as important as a man's eternal destiny is at stake and there is an enemy called Satan, do you not think he'll confuse the whole thing for so many people? If God's desire is for no one to go to hell, It is Satan's desire for all men to be doomed to the same destiny he is doomed to. When we open up the scripture and we see a a talk that Jesus is having, a concourse with, with the Jews, he is testifying to the truth himself. I want you to stop and think how simple he makes it. I want you to stop and think how amazing it is that God would come down in the form of a man and then subject himself to the examination of man. To be willing to give testimony of why he is who he said he was. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. Does God need to explain himself to anyone? I mean, the Bible opens up, In the beginning, God... No explanation of where he came from or who he is. Hebrews opens up God who at sundry time in diverse manners the old King James says has revealed himself in a number of different ways. God. And here you find the son of they thought a carpenter claiming himself to be almighty God and he, he, he brings himself down to our level and is willing to be cast upon the examination of the Jews. Now, why would he do that? He would do that for one reason only, because he would have all men to be saved. Do you understand how gracious the Lord is in even talking to the Jews about a testimony of who he is? Amazing. Astonishing. Look at it with me, if you will, in chapter 5. We'll begin at verse 31. Jesus says, if I alone bear witness about myself, then my testimony is not true. Now stop and think about that. Does God need anyone to testify that he is true? And yet Jesus comes down, I don't know what the word is, just comes down to our level. And opens himself up to, I want to show you who I am. He doesn't need to do that. The Jews in their religion taught this, in the mouth of two to three witnesses, let everything be established. So Jesus said, you want two or three witnesses? I'll give you several. Years ago, I was working at the post office in Arlington. I was selling stamps, and a line was out the door as it normally was at the post office. And in the line was Dr. Francis Kinney. Dr. Francis Kenny was for years the president of JU, which is a very prestigious university in our our city. And I knew Dr. Kenny, she came in a number of times. And when she came to my counter that day, I was talking to her and I mispronounced a word. Now, if you ever want to mispronounce a word, don't do it in front of the college president of JU. I realized immediately that I mispronounced it, I was embarrassed. And I talk loud. Gaylords do that. We just have a loud voice. Yes. Uh, Some of you were nodding your heads. And uh, there was a line, and everyone in the line heard me mispronounce the word. I don't want to pronounce it now because I may mispronounce it again. Dr. Fr- Dr. Kenny leaned over, I'll never forget the moment. A college president leaned across the counter and very quietly said, It is pronounced. How gracious of her. How gracious of her. The most stamp seller uneducated and yet she came down to my level and was gracious to me that is exactly what jesus is doing with these men he never wanted to stick it in the face of these pharisees now he leveled with them and told them straight but he never stuck it in their face he wanted them to see who he was look with me if you will at verse 32 There is another that bears witness about me. And I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. Now who is this another? It is not John that he's going to bring up the next verse. This another is the father himself. He doesn't say his name because they don't know him. (laughs) He simply says there is another who bears witness testimony about me, but you don't know him, so I won't give you his name, but I'll give you somebody you do know, look at verse 33, you sent to John, and he, you, you, you sent a delegation to listen to John, and he has borne witness to the truth, notice he hasn't borne witness to me, he bore witness to me who is the truth. He was sharing truth with you, and he bore witness that a greater one than me is coming. One is so much greater that he, that, so much greater that I can't even untie his shoelaces. Look at verse 34. Not that the testimony that I receive is from men. Notice, but I say these things that you might be saved, that you might be delivered. Isn't that beautiful? Look with me, verse 35. He, John, was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his life. Don't you like a good preacher? Don't you like a preacher that that can preach, it doesn't bore you to death and put you to sleep. Don't you like a preacher? Maybe someday you'll get one down here at the church. (laughs) I tune in on the radio once in a while, and most fellows don't hold my attention more than about 35 seconds. But once in a while, one that can come on that can shuck the corn. Even if he says something you disagree, it's fun to listen to a good preacher, isn't it? Do you really believe what he says, though? You love to hear the preacher, of John. Boy, he blasted this group and blasted that group, and man, he leveled this group and leveled that group. Don't Didn't you enjoy it? Did you listen to anything John said? Did you really believe what he said? The question isn't who entertains you. The question is, are you listening to the one he is speaking about? Paul, who I think was an incredible... Int- orator toned his greek rhetoric down so that all you heard was jesus christ because we do not need to be entertained by an orator we need to hear about jesus christ and you need to take the preacher serious when he preaches truth to you not the tickling of the fancy not the 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 the, the nubbing of the ear the life of Jesus Christ penetrated to your heart. In the voice of any preacher, you need to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and the voice of Jesus himself. Now, can you hear that from any preacher? Yeah, I think you can. If, if, if God spoke through a, I almost, almost, through a donkey in the Old Testament, he can speak through anybody. Now, he may speak through some more than others. Listen to his voice. You went and heard John. You loved to be entertained, didn't you? You didn't hear a word John said. Look at verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. (laughs) For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, those are the very works that I am doing. And they bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Wow. What I am doing is what the Father told me to do. I am bearing out the works. Look at the life of Jesus Christ. Let's let's run through it together. You ready? He gave hearing to the deaf. He gave speech to the dumb. He gave sight to the blind. He cleansed the leper. He gave deliverance to the captives of the devil. He brought life out of death. He walked on water. He stilled the raging seas. He calmed the winds with his words. He turned water into wine. He cleansed the temple. He fed the multitudes. He caused a fig tree to dry up like a pretzel. You see the things? We read the stories and we go, look at what he did. These are things that only God can do. It's like a town after a night like this asking, was there an electrical storm last night? Do you not see the man that I just healed that was paralyzed for 38 years look at him over there he's dancing a jig Do you not see that? look at the people all around you who used to be look at all of us who used to be wretched and now we're cleansed and perfect before the Father we actually can live semi-functional lives look at us we're not in jail look at us we're not dead from Oh, overdose. Look at you out there. The Father looks at you. He looks at perfection. Look at the work of Jesus Christ right around you. When Jesus said, if you want to find the works of God, you know where he said to look? Go look at Las Vegas and all the pretty lights they put up. Look at the technology in your iPad. Look at all the stuff. Look how fast you can fly around the world. No, he said, why don't you go look at the birds? Why don't you look at the things that you go by every day and you miss? Look at how that God provides nests for those birds. Look at the lily of the valley that you step on in, while, you're, while you're going after the latest technology. Because in that simple, ordinary thing, you're missing me. Bishop Ryrie has suggested that the miracles of Jesus were like this. They were great in their number. He did a lot of miracles. They were great in the context of what he did. You know, he didn't cure a wart. He didn't remove a sty. He raised people from the dead. He called Lazarus forth. That's great. Thirdly, it was public. He didn't do this stuff in a corner. There were multitudes who saw this stuff. People saw it. Y- you know, the miracle that got him put on the cross, the thing that stirred everything up, was the raising of Lazarus. Because the Jews couldn't deny it. You know, a guy was dead for four days, and all of a sudden he's walking around chewing on a pita. He's hanging out on the streets and Jerusalem. Hey, I'm Lazarus. I was dead. I look 20 years younger, don't I? Don't I look great? I said, I'm in trouble walking around, man. I'm just, he raised me from the dead. I think Lazarus gained about 20 years when he came out of that tomb. Okay? You can't deny that. It was public. All his miracles had involved, it was never a show. It was never a line involved. It was love, mercy, and compassion. People were suffering and relieved their suffering. Uh, He always appealed to men's senses. He healed the eyes, opened the ears, touched people in a physical way. It was in the flow of life. It was spontaneous. He never set a tent up. He never announced a meeting. It was just he was walking around, and all of a sudden, somebody was there who had a need, and he touched them in the flow of life, and it was powerful. (sighs) His miracles look like this on a night sky. Undeniable. Let's go on in the passage. Verse 38. Uh, verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. And then he looks at these men and he says, Look, his voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. This was not said in vindictiveness or or bitterness. This was said in truth, trying to reach these people's hearts. You know, sometimes preachers dance around the truth rather than just saying it. Sometimes we sugarcoat things in order not to hurt people's feelings. Jesus would have no part of that because his goal was not to be popular with these people. His goal was to touch their hearts and help them. Those of you who have sat down with me in counseling have no doubt left bruised. Because I care about helping you much further than you caring about what you think about me. And if I tell you the truth, it's because I love you. And Jesus loved these men and said, Look, you've never heard his voice. You've never seen his form. His word is not in you. Because if it was, you'd be running to me. Mm. Jesus never would have had a TV show these days. Look at verse 39. Nope, Nope. he wouldn't have been allowed. You search the Scriptures. You've given your life to look at the Bible because you think that in that Bible, in that Old Testament, and in that law that you have eternal life. But it is they, the Scriptures, that bear testimony about me. Sometimes people worship the Bible. There are Christian groups that actually worship the scripture themselves, thinking there's something within a book that will bring them life. This is the word of God. It is a springboard into the presence of Jesus Christ. There are people who have masters and PhDs in this book and who are lost as the day is long, don't even know the Savior don't even know the Christ that they're studying all about. And I'm going to tell you, they can beat the doctrines back in a heartbeat. They they can argue with and and just slam you on what this thing teaches, and yet they don't know Him. Because this is not the end. This leads us to the conclusion of knowing Christ in reality. Do you think He refines it? Do you think He keeps Himself within a book? This was meant to lead us to Him. You spend your entire life studying the Bible and able to miss him because when this is closed he is there this leads me to him this is not him look at verse 39 40 yet you refused to come to me notice that you might have life you refuse That's willful. They, they called, he called them out on the carpet, if you will. There was no excuse. There is another that bears witness of him, and his witness is true. John, if you want a man to say it, John preached that he was the Messiah. If you didn't want John's testimony, look at the things that I'm doing. Look at the testimony of his life. This was more than a man. This was the son of God himself. And everything he did, he did in perfection. And when he spoke, he he brought himself down to a gracious level to these men and said, I care about saving you. Therefore, I will explain myself or at least give you testimony about who I am. What an amazing moment this is. Three things, first of all. This is a resounding testimony. (laughs) There is no more testimony louder than this one. The testimony of Jesus Christ to this world. It is loud and it is clear. And how many are running to it? Very few. Very few. And yet God has provided a witness to all of us in humanity. Know that what you believe as a Christian and who you carry in this world has been loudly resounded from heaven, clearly given. The man who died and went to hell lifted his eyes up to Father Abraham and said, Father Abraham, dip your finger in the water and quench my tongue. And Father Abraham had said, no, I cannot do it, my child. Well, then go to my brethren. Warn them of this place that they don't come here. One of the greatest evangelists on the New Testament was the man in hell who wanted to reach his family so they didn't come to a burning fire. And what was the testimony of Father Abraham? They have the scripture. They have the word of God. They have the testimony of God himself if they will not believe that they would not believe it if you came back from the dead it is a resounding megaphone of a testimony don't look out over this world and think well there's tribes all over the place that have never heard the gospel, there are folks all over the world how unfair it is of God who hasn't trumpeted his gospel. He has trumpeted his gospel. When you take this gospel into your workplace, into your home, into your neighborhoods, into your schools, know that the Holy Spirit trumpets the testimony of Jesus Christ to these men and women. That all of humanity is without excuse. Second of all, the evidence is incredibly clear. There is no greater evidence than the life of Jesus Christ. Just a simple study of ancient documents will tell you that the New Testament and all the writings in the New Testament is is of greater validity. There are more documents of this New Testament than any literature of antiquity. It is a clear testimony. How gracious of God to translate it into language after language and people group after people group, trying to reach everyone with the evidence of who he is. Well, this is the the conclusion. You ready for this? This is the heart of the matter. If this testimony is resounding, I'm talking loud and clear. If the evidence is there, then what is man's excuse There is no excuse. Mankind, and if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you are in open rebellion against the Father. Years ago, there was a TV show, Flip Wilson. Some of you that are old enough will remember Flip Wilson. He was a funny guy. How many of y'all remember old Flip Wilson? Remember the great statement, the funny? John, you don't remember Flip Wilson? You're an old guy, man. You ought to know Flip Wilson. What are you, like forties? <laughs> remember the funny statement that Flip Wilson used to make? The devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do anything. We're all in open rebellion. Oh, It's all hidden. We're still in the bushes, and God comes calling and said, Adam, where are you? Do you think that God did not know where Adam was? I've lost my creation. Where'd he go? Adam, where are you? He knew exactly where he was. He wanted Adam to come out from behind the bushes and say this, I have sinned against you. Well, Adam came out and immediately blamed the woman. (laughs) But do you know, if you study the story very carefully, he really blamed God. He said, the woman that you gave me, she made me sin. Wow. That is the testimony of open rebellion.